Good morning. Nice. A uh, little reminder, we do not have kids' world this morning, but we do have the nursery is open if you feel you need it. Uh, don't feel compelled. We're not kicking kids out. We never do that. But uh, if you feel you need the space, it's there. Um, if you're young enough that you look at me and go, I don't want to listen to what you have to say, uh, we do have some um, kids' booklets and crayons on the table in the back corner over there. Adults, let the kids get theirs first. All right. So last week, we finished up our multi-week study, our series on the book of Jonah. Um, honestly, was anybody kind of ready for Jonah to be over? Okay, I, nobody, like one person raised their hand, but there was a lot of... All right, so this morning, I'm going to kind of go off in a different direction. And to do that... I want to look at the book of Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I seriously, I, was, I thought I was going to go away from this, and then just boom, there it was. But we're only kind of touching on it tangentially. So um, for those that missed some or all of it or have no understanding, you hear Jonah and you know there's a fish, and that's your understanding of the story. Uh, brief recap. There's Jonah. There's God. There's a big city called Nineveh. Wicked, 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 wicked city. God says to Jonah, Jonah, run over to Nineveh and tell this massive city full of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that um, I'm really upset with them because they're really wicked and I'm going to kill them all. Jonah goes, uh, yeah, no. And Jonah runs away. Now, we look at, we don't know anything. I mean, let's think about this like you're coming to it fresh for the first time and you've never heard the story before. We look at what Jonah does and we're like, dude, that makes sense. I get what Jonah's doing. God has asked him to do something that's just scary, that's uncomfortable, that, I mean, and we look at it and we go, you know what, I know what it's like for God to ask you to do something and to just feel like, you know what, God, I'm not capable of doing that. I, I cannot do this thing you've done, so I'm not. And so when Jonah runs away, we're like, you know what? For a Bible guy, it's probably not the best move, but I get it. So Jonah runs away, gets on the boat, boat runs into a storm, crew throws Jonah off the boat, Jonah starts to sink, fish eats Jonah, Jonah's in there like three days. As I said, uh, I picture uh, the Pinocchio scenario where he's got like a little campfire and he's cooking up the fish that the, the fish eats. I don't know, whatever. Fish swims up to land, pukes him out. Jonah's like, Lord, uh, thank you for not letting me drown. Thank you for not letting me be digested alive by a giant fish. And uh, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, runs into the middle of the city, says, hey, God's really upset with you guys. He's going to destroy you all. And then he runs away, like really fast. We get no impression anybody's like coming after him. But if he were me, if I were he, I'd be running too. Jonah runs back outside the city, goes up on a hill, sits down, and he just watches to see what's going to happen. Inside the city, everybody's like, oh, snap. Uh, for those either too old or too young to know what that means, it means like, oh, darn, God's going to kill us. We should do something. And so the entire city... Massive numbers of, I'm, I'm plosiving there, massive numbers of people, they all repent. 
they're ashes on the head and sackcloth and they like full repentance mode and God's like I see what you're doing there I like it okay you're good I'm not going to destroy you flashback over and in my mind you know every time I hear a story I'm doing the the movie version I'm, I'm seeing the real in my head flashback over to Jonah Jonah's outside the city waiting for it to be destroyed God shows up and Jonah's like mad and here we get the big M. Night Shyamalan twist reveal at the end. He avoided the whole situation, not because he was scared, but because he was afraid God was going to do exactly what God did, and God was going to let them all off the hook. And all the time, Jonah's like, I want them to burn! Because, in my mind, the backstory would have been the Ninevites killed his wife and kids and left him for dead, Josie Wales style. We don't know why Jonah wanted them all to die. Now, in this story, as I said in the first part, you could see yourself. You can understand that. This morning, if you sit here and God has ever called you to do something, and you have avoided doing it because you did not want to see the good, positive, blessed outcome of God's work, all I can say to you is, you need Jesus. And seriously, if, if you've ever put yourself in a place where you are actively opposed to something God is doing because you do not want to see the good that will come from it, you got to ask if you ever knew Jesus to begin with. So I'm just going to leave that with you. And I can't imagine there's too many people here who, who have ever been in that situation. Um, but if that's you, 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 you go in the corner and you think about what you did. For the rest of us, those of us with the human flaws and the weaknesses and the fears who have been in that situation where God said, go and do this thing. And we just said, God, I, I, I can't do that thing. I, I'm, I'm too scared. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't, I don't know the right words to say. I, I want to talk to you this morning. And I got to ask you, do you think... Do you think it's possible God knows those fears and the weaknesses and the flaws and that you don't know what to do and you don't know what? Is it possible God knows all those things and yet called you anyway? You see, God has this magnificent track record in the Bible of calling the least capable least responsible, least intelligent. I mean, God calls the losers, people. God said, I am going to create a nation of people who are going to impact the entire world, and I'm going to start it by asking a 100-year-old couple to have a baby. <laughs> now, I'm not God. It's good that I'm not God. This world would be more messed up than it was if I was. But if I were God, 100-year-old... And you know what? People are living into their hundreds and having great lives. I'm not going to pick a couple hundred-year-old people to have a baby. They do. You get that nation of Israel. Um, they're not the nation yet, but they all end up in Egypt. They end up enslaved. God's like, I'm going to free my people from the Egyptians. Moses, I want you to go down there, and you tell that Pharaoh what's what, and I'll tell you what to say. First thing out of Moses' mouth is, uh, 
me don't talk good. And God's like, yeah, I know. That's why I said, say what I tell you to say. Moses, you're, you're being a parrot. You're not doing anything independently. You're being a parrot. I'll tell you what to say. You say it back. Moses want a cracker. And it works out. Who do we got? Gideon. Anybody remember the story of Gideon? God's people, once again, they're under, under oppression by a foreign power. Not to say they didn't bring it on themselves, but they brought it on themselves. God's looking for somebody to free his people from oppression. And who does he find? Gideon. Where does he find Gideon? Hiding in a wine press. He comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, I want you to raise up a massive army and go free my people. And Gideon essentially says, um, I'd rather just keep being a weenie hiding in my wine press, if that's okay. And God says, no, it's not okay. And guess what? Gideon goes, and it works out. And then lastly, I mean, I mean we, could, we could do this all day long, but let's just look at the 12. The 12 people that Jesus picks. People, this is not the cream of the crop here. This is not your A-team. These were not like your varsity high school quarterbacks. These are... Um, these were like the, the drama kids. And no offense, but, yeah, well, like back in the day. I mean, they're cool now because of Glee, but back in the day. God consistently goes out and finds the least likely, least capable, least able to people to do to invite into his work with him. And if you think about the entire course of the Bible, Jesus was the only perfectly capable person God ever called. The only one. Every single other one was just flawed and weak and had their own stuff going on. And every time God went, it would have been so easy to just go, God, um, I'm not the guy. You should go get the other guy or that guy or make a guy. Not me. So we got to ask the question, all through then, up to today, up to when God asks you, God calls you, God wants you to do something, and we get this, I can't do that. Why? Why is he picking people who look at themselves and just go, I am incapable of this work? I have an answer. I know why. <clears throat> Second Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, God's intention is, God could call the, the, the number one, the best suited person there is, 
God could call somebody who's got the right words, who's got the confidence, who's got the wisdom, who's got the skill, who's got the talent, and he could call them to that work. And they could come in and they could do that work and not think twice about it. It would be no big deal. But the problem in that situation is somebody that skilled and that capable and that able is able to then do the work God called them to on their own, of their own power, in their own strength. And that's not what God wants. See, God knows every flaw and every weakness every character trait that makes you unsuited. And that's exactly why God calls you. Because God's saying, you know what? I know who you are. And I know you're too whatever. You feel like you're just too whatever to be able to do this. But it's not you who's doing this. It's we who are doing this. See, when God, when God says, you know what? That, that coworker who's just been having such a hard time and, and they, need, they need a word. They need a testimony. I need you to go and share what I've done in your life with them. And we go, I, I, you know what, I don't know what to say. And God goes, I know you don't know what to say, but I do. Just go say what I tell you to say. When God says, hey, I really need you to step up and lead you know, a, a teach, teach, once a month, teach a fifth and sixth grade Sunday school class for the kids. Oh, Lord, you know, kids aren't really my thing. And God's going, I know, but they're my thing, and I will make my thing your thing. And when God calls us to, to step up and, and lead a, a life group, when God calls us to step up and lead a ministry, it's not because of what you can do. It's because of what you can do with him. See, all over the place, there's perfectly capable people to do these things, but they don't get the benefit then of having to rely each and every step of the way on God's power to do it. When you come out of your comfort zone and you start to do the thing that you can't do, but you do it with God, you grow in his strength. You grow in his power and you grow closer to him. And, and apart from the work itself, that's what God wants. That's why God is calling you to that thing, because he wants to put you in a place where you have no choice but to rely on him, because that's where you grow. And that's where you get the blessing of his presence. I want to share one more story, and then we're going to wrap up. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. David is called. David is compelled by God when nobody else in the nation of Israel will go out and stand face to face against Goliath, the giant. David is compelled to do it. And Saul's like, look, kid, 
if you're going to do this, take my armor. So they suit him up, and they got the chain mail, and they got the helmet, and yeah, he looks like a medieval knight, and that's probably not what it looked like, but that's what I'm picturing, and he's got the sword, and he's got the shield, and like he's three foot seven, and he's like, he's like, this is not my stuff. I, I can't use this. This is not who I am. So he takes it all off, and he, he picks up some rocks, and he picks up a sling, and he goes, it may not be much, but it's who I am. And when I go out in the name of the Lord, I cannot be anything other than who I am. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Yeah, bud. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Whatever battle you face, whatever calling you have, whatever it is that God has spoken to you about that you have resisted because you just don't feel able. God knows you don't feel able. God knows why you don't feel able. And in your own power, on your own, if you were to attempt what he has called you to, you would not be able. It is only when you go with God in his power, in his strength, relying on him every step of the way, that you are not only able, but you are supremely powerful. And every moment you spend resisting that call, not only does it put off the glorious ends that God wants to achieve, but it deprives you of the blessing of his power and presence. And why would you want to do that to yourself? So whatever it is this morning that you sit and you wrestle with, that God has called you to, that you just go, I can't. The only thing, all those names I listed, and every other name throughout the Bible that God has called, the only thing they had in common was that they were willing. In spite of their fears, in spite of their flaws, they were willing to go with God. And I just ask you this morning, will you take the step to go with God? Would you bow your heads as we close in prayer? Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for this beautiful summer you've gifted us. And we're so appreciative of, of your willingness to, to not only deal with us, not only put up with us, but invite us into your work. To give us the opportunity regularly to come and be with you and engage in the work of your kingdom. Not because you need us, but because we need you. 
And I just pray you would help each one of us. You would strengthen each one of us. You would give us all that, that one moment of courage to step out and say, I don't know how, Father, but yes, I will. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. And may you go from this place confident that when you go in the presence of God, you have all the power, all the words, and all the ability you need to accomplish the miraculous. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.